question. Can y'all hear this gardener? No. No. Okay. I can't hear anything over my leaf blower. I can barely hear you guys half the time. So <laughs> they're, they're canceling each other out. Yes. Okay, <laughs> Welcome to that episode was. We are popsicle. Today's episode of that episode was will be a deep dive into the expanse season six, episode two, Azure Dragon, which is the best ship name in the expanse. The Expanse is a series created by Mark Fergus and Hawk Osby and run by Noreen Shankar. It's based on the book series of the same name, written by James S.A. Corey, a pen name for writing team Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank, who also work on the show. This episode was written by Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank and directed by Jeff Wolfe. designer of geeky crafts and author of a geek's guide to cross stitch journeys in space justin that's the name of that book i don't know um, why you're pointing that out to me right now anyway <laughs> and i am joined by some of my favorite humans on earth and probably the belts and you know the ring system as well we can just add all of that in there we first have lisa k weber the artist of hex 11 hi lisa Hello. Um, and Kelly Simulano, the writer of Hex 11. Hi. Hello, it is you. Justin Pennison, writer of the Hunter Black webcomic and the upcoming Sonic Prime series on Netflix. Hi, Justin. Hi. All of that was written down for you, I'm just saying. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> also, there's three, like literally four words to for me to remember about, yeah, any of that. And last, but always the most uh, philip kelly professional screenwriter filmmaker actor uh festive christmas sweater wearer philip kelly and producer yeah. of popsicle because he is all of this stuff uh, oh yeah okay i accept i accept I, ex I will not deny i will Ooh. not uh, reject that very good yeah um so we are entering into season six spoiler territory please mm -hmm. be warned that we are going to talk about all of the things that we want to talk about and we don't care if it ruins the show for you at this point so if you um don't want that to happen we definitely want you back but please go watch this episode as your dragon and then come back and um you know spoil along with us so you know Wow, a lot of stuff going on this episode yet again. And I think that's, you know, duh is going to be um, true for every episode of this season. Um, but I want to start with what made me the happiest, um, even after just one um, episode of this season, is Bobby showing back up on the Rosinante. Um, she uh, rejoins our crew that feels very you know, separate and not doing so well. She gets them right to work and calls Amos Peewee, which I'm just hoping that that's just an ongoing, you know, nickname uh, between them and, you know, gets them headed out on a really super duper dangerous uh, mission, which 
once again, chef's kiss might be one of the best action sequences I've seen in the series as well. That was just, oh my God. Um, yeah. And yeah, I wrote could- down, that was like the best like spaceship chase sequence of this entire series. Like I seriously felt like I had whiplash watching One of the it. best I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my favorite scene in any movie is the Millennium Falcon being chased into the asteroid field in Empire sure. Strikes Back. And this is one of the coolest space space chase scenes I've ever seen. Right. Yeah. Because it you could feel it, and that's uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You you yeah. were with every twist and turn. You you like your head, like you said, Claire, whiplash. Like, oh yeah. Which way did it go? Which it way did it go? Like you didn't <laughs> see, you couldn't see which, where anything was going. If we were wondering about like anybody's piloting skills following Alex, like you can't really say anything bad about Holden at this point because he's clearly, you know, holding it together a little bit um, as pilot of the Rosinante. Um, Naomi freezes up in the middle of this and Clarissa saves the day <laughs> twice, twice, um, you know, but also pukes as well. So bless her heart. Um, so yeah, I just kind of wanted to start with the crew of the Rosinante and get where everybody is, how you're feeling, um, what you're prognosticating at this point. Like one of my questions in the season for my, is just like, I don't know that this crew is really going to come back together the way they've been previously in the story. And I'd love to hear everybody's take on that. Um, where all of our, you know, our main Rosinante family is and what, what the future holds for them. Um, Justin. Well, you know, this is the area. I really admire these, the people, the production team for sticking to their guns, for deciding, you know, we have to eliminate this actor and thus we're going to eliminate the character and that is going to affect this story. And we are not going to gloss over that. We are going to adapt the story appropriately um, because I don't remember in book six, I don't remember this deep sense of unease amongst the crew, you know, mm-hmm. of the Rossi. Um, and certainly they weren't, I mean, there may have been apprehension about Peaches but there was not like this powerful tension that, you know, that we saw, especially in episode one between Naomi and Clarissa. Um, and, and as a result between Naomi and Amos. Um, Alex is gone. And Alex was in many ways, the, the glue that held them together. He was, he was what took this crew and made it a family. You know, he brought the love that everyone else sort of, you know, grabbed onto, I think. Um, And no one can take that place. No one can fill that role. That doesn't mean they can't reform into something different, maybe even stronger, you know, maybe something that's built, you know, less on shared trauma and more on something else. Um, You know, it's not it's significant that in this episode that, you know, Clarissa steps up and at least Holden is affected by that. 
you know, and, you know, his relationship with her will be something that was truly earned, you know, that, you know, it, it, it's been through a crucible and whatever comes out is going to be something strong and hopefully beautiful. So. Yeah. I, um, I really felt um, Clarissa's like moment in this episode, like, yeah. Um, not only her kind of hero moment of like, you know, jumping in when Naomi froze and then, you know, helping out Bobby. Um, but of course, like the, you know, the medical room, medical bay, bay. Yeah. medical bay scene where um, she realizes she's a part of the crew, like kind of officially based on what Holden says to her. Um, and that was like, I know she's not, she's not going to be an Alex character, but it was like, it was the first, like, kind of love, warm feeling that I felt in these past two episodes, like where there, there can be like a warmth that's going to generate throughout this ship again. Um, and I feel like I saw it from Clarissa in that moment. So I'm encouraged by that. Um, Holden is looking terrible. Oh, like cool. he is looking like shit. I'll just yeah. say it. <laughs> like he has not fared well during all of this trauma. My husband, um, my husband made a point of like at the beginning of that episode going, is something wrong with Steven Strait? Because like he is looking scrawny and, and mm-hmm. like, yeah method i don't know i yeah i'm, I'm not gonna lie like, it freaks me out a little bit it gives me like chadwick boseman vibes in a way that i don't like you know mm. well i hope that that's not the case i hope it's makeup i hope it's you know yeah, i think it's yeah, yeah I, think I hope it's, it's just an intentional choice for yeah. the character yes me too yeah now, his um, voice is so raw like i mm-hmm. you don't get that that's totally intentional he's like got like christian bale batman thing going on right now like oh god like drink, like, drink some water dude drink some water yeah please, <laughs> but okay so we all true. noticed he's not oh, looking no, good no, and no. That, that and i mean that speaks a lot to like what everyone has gone through mm-hmm. um, because naomi doesn't look good either no yeah. she doesn't yeah. and no, no, i mean no. she's clearly like i mean you can tell that Holden's doing his best to just cope and keep moving forward and just keep on doing the next thing and the next thing until we get to a place where we can breathe and recover, but they're not there yet. And you can see that he's like trying his best to just kind of keep it together. And Naomi is, while she may be trying, just not succeeding at keeping it together. They did Um, such a great job of editing and sequencing the, the, the whole part where Bobby jumps out of the airlock and you're like, Bobby Draper, hero, badass moment. And oh, yeah. instantly you turn around and see Naomi and her attempt to go. And the, the way they, they give you that visual of what she's, you know, feeling and seeing as she, mm-hmm. and I like, it hit me so hard. What like, like in my body, like I could, I could feel it along with her to some degree mm-hmm. of just like how horrible how and and she's a belter here's a martian who can you know jump out of an airlock but she's a belter she's she should be able to to do that shit 
and she she has to feel like she's lost a limb at this point it it was yeah. so well yeah. done her trauma is so i bought it completely yeah it did not have yeah. they did not have to sell it to me like it was on the shelf i picked it up and walked straight to check out with it you know what oh, i mean yeah. like and the uh, and the the exchange between she and Holden of him asking her, "Are you okay?" And then uh, she says, "Yeah." She says, "No, no. Are you okay? Or are you okay in the like? I need to talk about it later." Since yeah, okay. yeah, so that was I so that. intuitive. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, that was that was being a good partner. That was being yes, a good partner. I really yeah. like that. I don't know if I'm always that good a partner. That was a really, <laughs> that was, uh, that was a really, I, I was like, I was like, good for you. Dude. Yeah. That's Why? TV show ideal partnership right there. Yes. <laughs> well, the, the, when, when the crew is given an objective that they have to meet out, like I see them coming together as a family again, yeah. like they're on a mission and their instincts kick in with each other that, that, cause those instincts have grown over the course of time. Um, right. when they're just milling about doing nothing, like they're, they're literally falling apart. Like that objective in this episode, you see it draw them together as, as a unit again, which is really nice. Right. Um, though the one person who doesn't look frazzled or worn down is Amos. I want to point out, mm -hmm. he does not look like, cause he's been through hell, like, like many levels of hell. Yeah. Um, but he also has someone there that he's taking, like he needs to take care of. And I, I, which to me is an interesting, like, like, yeah, like Naomi and, and, um, uh, 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 Holden. Damn it. Holden, thank you. Are, are in a relationship and everything, you know, they're, they're their own people though. And like, they're not looking after someone. And I, there's something about that element that I, I feel keeps Amos maybe getting out of bed every morning. Right. Like, mm -hmm. like maybe there's something there to that. Like he, uh, See, he's, he's certainly frustrated by their what they're having to do and everything, but he doesn't seem as worn down or as. Well, a Amos doesn't feel in the same way other people do. That's also true. Yeah. You know, and I think that Amos, like Amos is not worn down the way the others are. You know, that's just the turn, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what Amos is, what Amos, you know is angry in a way that we have not seen him really before. Sure. You know, and I think that anger has a lot to do with a, his brother's killed, you know, Alex is killed and he feels the lack of acceptance for peaches from Naomi and Holden, Naomi in particular, you know, and I think that hurts him, you know, and like, I think he feels a little betray betrayed by his family. Sure. You know, and I think that is really like, which is, which is what makes that last moment. He's like, I think you just got chewed out. So, so well, nice. He, it's so he nice. said, you know, you just got chewed out. Yeah. Right. But, he, but you also saw that veil of anger lift from him. Oh, yeah. That's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah that moment. Yeah. yeah. You see that sort of lift and, and you see the old Amos a bit. It's going back to, you know, when Justin was first making the point of, you know, Alex being gone and what that means for the crew as Clarissa is showing up, it, it, I will have to admit, did not even occur to me at the end of last season that this dynamic is now part of, you know, the story because it's not in the, the books, obviously, um, but, but them bringing it up um, and, 
seeing Naomi's reaction to it, like it feels so valid and real yep. because it is, it, that is one of those paradoxical emotions that you feel right when you're, when you are in the midst of grieving like that, like the, the unfairness, like we feel how unfair that is, but we understand it. Absolutely. Like it's, I, you can't turn off that kind of emotional reaction regardless of like what logic you might try to apply to it, because it is just part of the grieving process to be angry and, and petulant about it. Right. Like it's, it's just, it's just such a real human emotion. Um, and I don't know this, this is a natural segue, but we're going to do it anyway. I think it takes us over to our dear Camino drummer and her dwindling, ever dwindling family. Um, and you know, she's, she's trying to find a good home for Michio to go to, um, and ends up con connecting with a new character who has some information and gives them, you know, hopefully a way forward to um, battling with the Free Navy. And um, I'm interested again to hear everybody's thoughts on what's going on on her ship. Um, and as well, because these are kind of, you know, smaller B and C and D stories. Um, <laughs> I'm also very intrigued by just the few moments that we get with Avasarala and Monica Stewart. Um, I, I thought was one of the nicest little scenes in the episode as well. Um, this, you know, Avasarala talking to her and trying to talk her, guilt tripping her into focusing her on, you know, this new uh, effort in trying to, you know, highlight what the victims of the attacks are, are, are going through. Um, and then that line at the end of like, well, that you are really good at guilt trips. And <laughs> comes back with, yeah, I practice by myself all of the, the time. Mm -hmm. And it's such a great little line about her yeah. internal life. Um, what do we think? Like, a lot of this is just like, what do you think is going to happen? What I, I'm really intrigued to see where Mona, Monica Stewart goes. Like, where where is this going exactly, um, Lisa? Um, I so I'll start with Kamina Drummer and what's going on there and her conversation with this. I don't I don't recall the name of the um, Liang Walker. Liang Walker. Okay, that's his name. Yeah. That's his name. So um, her kind of dealings with him, I, it's great when um, like you start to feel like everyone's taking crazy pills <laughs> and I'll draw the Marco Anaros Trump comparison again. And you're like, how is this happening? Like, how are people falling in line behind this person who is like clearly deranged and um it's always like so encouraging when you can find other people who are like no no i see through all of that bullshit too and you can start to see like oh, okay so there are cracks forming in this like you know free navy thing we thought was like they thought they had everything on lockdown and that this was like an impossible fight to win. And then you start to realize that it's like, oh no, like it's already starting to crumble. 
And you can see it in conversations like this between two people who like may not be exactly the same. They don't come from exactly the same place, but they see the same thing. And um, so I really, really loved that. And I'll just say that. Um, in regards to Monica Stewart, <laughs> um, who like, by the way, like as a character on this show has grown into like something that I really love. Um, I really, really appreciate her character like a lot um, in a way that I don't as much in the books. It's not like she's a terrible character in the books. I just don't think she's as developed as she is on this show. And um, I, so I really like this kind of direction for her. Um, this kind of like, purpose for her and um I think it I think that like you know we're starting to turn the page on this dark timeline for now <laughs> and so it's like I'm starting to see the glimmers mm -hmm. of hope in these two interactions and I am here for that because don't we all need more of that <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um philip yeah i you know it's funny because i i like pretty much everything lisa just said was what i would have had to say it, it you know marco and aros dragging people through the mud like a lot of words but then actually leaving people out there to sh like be in the shit and not following through with those words that has real consequences even for you know someone who's as charismatic, like he can make people feel good when he's in front of them. But we see that when he's not in front of them, he stopped, as we saw in the first episode, kind of uh, letting, uh, I think it was Philip who said, yeah, but we should keep helping the people out, right? And every, they both kind of smirk at him like, what? <laughs> Which is like, uh, okay, kid. Um, I mean, it has real consequences to what you're trying to put together. And, and we're seeing that with uh, um, the way, uh, uh, a drummer is talking to uh what did you say his name was liang is that right i i, I yeah, yeah. if we're saying it liang liang Walker. Walker. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah um and i i think with the monica stewart we're you know if if she does end up doing this which i'm sure she will it's gonna increase those cracks that we're seeing um uh, so i think you know these two elements might go hand in hand pretty well ultimately mm -hmm. absolutely um kelly sue um, I second everything that everybody has said about everything <laughs> up until now. And I just want to say that, um, <clears throat> the one thing that really struck with me, um, in this episode, and I know we've talked a little bit about Monica Stewart. I'm kind of like trying to get into, oh yeah, here we are. Okay. Yeah, it's this guilt trip that Avasarala gives to Stuart. And the line that she has, it's so beautiful, where she's like, you're really good at guilt trips. And she's like, yeah, I practice a lot when I'm alone. And I was like, that to me, when she says I practice a lot when I'm alone, it's a clever response. But also I'm like, she feels so guilty. Oh yeah. And she's guilt tripping herself all the time yeah. Oh, yeah and to have that moment that moment of vulnerability with her which is you know it's rare with her character right and to still have it be cloaked in this sort of like sophisticated wittiness um 
I just appreciated it so much. And it said so much to me about what's going on for Avasarala, because I think if anything, at least for me, I can always have more of her in every single episode. Like every time we leave Avasarala, I'm just like, oh my gosh, okay. Okay, I'm gonna make it. Um, and I just really loved that. Um, I really loved that uh, moment, especially in this episode where there's just so many bad people doing bad shit. Yeah. I always love a line of dialogue that beautifully written and that beautifully mm -hmm. delivered where it's like, wow, that was so short and sweet. And it communicated so much. Yeah. Yeah. That, I like, mean, for me, yeah, that's amazing. the heart of her character. That's what makes her character sympathetic and available to me is that she does what needs to be done, but and she won't talk about it with most people, but she is, you know, you, you understand that she is always carrying the emotional responsibility of, of what she has to do. Um, mm -hmm. Always, always, always. Yeah. Um, with that, I think it's a good time for us to take a quick break. Wait, we'll wait, be back. wait, wait, wait. Justin I didn't, get, didn't, I didn't get to comment on. Oh, Justin, you didn't get to me. comment on drummer or Stewart. That's true. I'm so sorry. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I think Justin just did this to you in an earlier podcast I, episode yeah. we recorded. So maybe, uh, maybe so even Stephen, maybe even Stephen, even Stephen. You know, Philip, you don't have to produce all the time. <laughs> Justin, I always want to hear what you have to say. Um, the only little bit that I wanted to add, really, or uh, two things that I really wanted to add. Um, and I think that a lot of these two scenes, you know, drummer with Liang Walker and Avasaral and Monica Stewart, you know, they are reflections of what's going on with Marco. And it's a real, there's a real sense of the fact that Marco is a great terrorist, but now that he's built his great belt on nation, he doesn't know what to do with it. He has no ability. He, like Trump, he's good at, you know, rousing the rabble, but he's not good at any other goddamn thing. Do you know what I'm saying? He's not, he's not, he can't govern, you know, he can be a tyrant, but that doesn't, that's not, he's not there speaking, for the that doesn't the go well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the cracks are already beginning to show. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're getting our glimmers of hope from. Um, drummer who does not give up, you know, um, even when she's broken inside and she feels as broken as everybody else, boy. But, you know, drummer just doesn't stop. And that, that doggedness is going to serve her well now, it seems, you know, and we see, I think there's a setup there. And I just want to say, because you're right about Monica Stewart. There is something with her in the show that was not there in the books. And I think, I feel like that's a testament to Anna Hopkins mm -hmm. because I think mm -hmm. Anna Hopkins has breathed life into this character that wasn't necessarily there on the page. I don't think it was intended to be there on the page, you know? Right. And so I just want to give her, her, you know, her little woo woo. And <laughs> that's, that's pretty much all I have. That I'm so glad we said, so glad we got your woo woo. Yeah. <laughs> on Justin's woo woo. Okay. And your belter that... patois. I yeah, like that. Nice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Has everybody said what they want to say at this point before we move on? Oh, good. 
Um, that's how I'm going to do it from now on. Um, we are going to take a quick break. We are going to come right back and we're going to head over to series because, you know, shit's happening on series and people are doing stuff there. Um, we will be back right after this. everyone we are back and let's go to our favorite people to loathe um in all of the belts or at least one of the people that i know that we all loathe um marco and philip and company um philip is dealing question mark with the aftermath of yohan's murder um marco is making googly eyes at number 90210 um number one like you get it because she was in Beverly Hills 90210. I just but I knew I was gonna have go. to explain that joke, but that's what I'm calling her in my head. Head is number 90210. Um, while explaining that unconditional parental love is all about your kid making you look good. Um, so I'm gonna start with Kelly Sue because mothers and parental people, yes. persons. Um yeah. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite Marco hairstyle look? Because we were debating this heavily in my household. Is it the Prince Jerry curl side swipe, side sweep? Oh my God. Or is it the man bun? I don't like anything that makes people compare him to Prince. So I'm just going to say that. And I say none. I like none. I don't like either one, but I like the man bun the least. (laughs) I hate them both. And I hate the bun the most. (laughs) Um, so I thought that that whole sequence with them was really interesting talking about, you know, Marco saying, I love him and I need him and 90210 being like, you know, love means a lot of different things for different people. And she said, if you love, like, do you pity him? Is that what your love feels like? Um, and that was, a. uh, I don't want to say that it was thrown out because it certainly wasn't like they were making a point with that dialogue, but I was also like, oof, because we're talking about the love of a son. We're not talking about a love interest or romantic love or the way that, you know, Drummer feels about her family. Not that, not to diminish any of those things, but to be getting into him talking about like, I have a use for him and that's where my need comes from. Um, it broke my heart for Philip. It broke my heart for the entire situation. It made me hate Marco on a whole new level because here he is thinking that he's being like, I'm being so emotionally available right now. And I'm like, yeah, you open up vulnerability and it turns out you're still just shit on the inside, <laughs> you know? Um, and it brings up a lot of those types of things because as a parent, the love that you feel for your child is so complex. And so, you know, there's these beautiful light places and there are these other like dark places where it's like, ooh, I really have to check myself. Like, am I treating this person like an extension of me? Cause that's not right. And that's essentially what Marco is saying in that, in that moment. And I'm just like, the worst. <laughs> For those who uh, couldn't see Kelly Sue, which is all of our audience, she just, uh, did what Clarissa did basically into the helmet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just vomited 
<laughs> all of, I, I symbolically vomited onto Marco mm-hmm. and he deserves it. Justin, how do you think Philip's doing at the moment? You're on mute. I think Philip is falling the fuck apart. And I think this is a, for him, this is a treading water episode. Mm-hmm. Um, he's definitely, they, they really changed what's going on with Philip from the books. You know, in the books, he kills somebody, but he just kills a guard on series, you know, and here he's killed his best friend, you know, he's killed, you know, someone who's supposed to be fight, who was fighting for the cause, you know, and so Philip is not only undermining his own sense of whether or not he's a good person, he's undermined whether or not their cause is a valuable one to him. And so he is, he is adrift and we can see it, you know? Um, and um, I will never not be able to call her number 90210. You know? I like, work here is done. There's a whole, there's a whole thing. Like she's a character from the books. She is, and you know, she's gender swapped and there's all kinds of like, she's a, a new, you know, it's cool, but <laughs> none of that matters now. to be clear my my giving her this name is giving her props because you know because this is an actress that we recognize and of my childhood i delight in her absolutely um Um, and i i delight in her character like and it's like i know that i know that like you know she's with the bad guys but i like her like i Mm -hmm. i like all the stuff she says is like yeah even though it's like she's part of this like fucked up thing it's like what what are you doing here if this is how you think and this is how you speak why are you here because you're obviously like very eloquent and you're thinking on a much deeper level than marco is for sure Mm -hmm. and um why are you here you seem better than this (laughs) um her hair is yeah, also amazing. Yeah, yeah amazing. I love her hair. Love yeah. her entire yeah. look. Um, mm-hmm. She's she's just great. Um, but yeah, then, you know, in regards to, I mean, there's really nothing to say about Marco other than the fact that he's the worst. He's a very two-dimensional character when you come down to it. Like he is not like a, he's people that we know from life, but he's also, I mean, he's a cartoon villain really. So yeah, we all fucking hate him and we always will. (laughs) There's no coming back for Marco, but for Philip, I think that, um, you know, yes, he's adrift, but I think it's like, also we're starting to get these first little kind of hints at Mm. who he really wants to be. So he feels this guilt and shame. And instead of quashing it down, instead of listening to Marco, who's telling him to, you know, I don't know, be as much of an asshole as he is or whatever. <laughs> um, Philip is like, no, I want, I, it's like, I, I want to take care of his family and I want to, I want to deliver a message directly to his family. I don't want to hide from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that whole scene of him recording that message and him kind of like being stilted on, at it on the first try and then like speaking with much more like direction and confidence on the second take 
where it was like, he was sure this is what he wanted to do. It's sure what he wanted to communicate. And I think that those are our first glimmers of hope for Philip's character. Well, mm -hmm. it's interesting because I, I definitely, because he doesn't come clean in those recordings, you know, even the, even the no. third one. And I think- but That's why I say the, he hasn't gone all the way there. Right. He's taken his first steps. He wants mm -hmm. to come clean. He wants to be better than he is, but he's terrified of it. You yeah. know, and, and everything I, around him is saying, don't do that. It's interesting that you say that because Marco goes, I want him to be better than, uh, what does he say? I want him to be better than than this or than what he is or something like that. Mm. And, and in a way, we're talking about two very different visions of this character, of what that better, is. Of what yeah. that better yeah. is. I, mm -hmm. um, Because there's that, that conversation where Marco finally steps up to be a dad and he's like, when I, you know, when we were young belters and we were doing this, we stuck together. We didn't shoot each other, uh, you know, just over a grievance because we knew that's we, all we had was each other to get to this point. Um, which, I mean, heck, that's pretty good advice from one terrorist to a budding terrorist, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, if you're if you're gonna, I mean, you, I could I could take that, you know, fighting a revolution you know, the French Revolution and say that to my, you know, to somebody under my but command. Philip doesn't feel like he has anybody. He's exactly. never felt like he's had anybody. Exactly, yeah. Or Marco could feel like he had people because sure. he always made sure that he had people. But he's made sure that Philip has, has nobody. nobody. Except for him. Right, uh, yeah. yeah. And he when he blames, yeah. when he's explaining to number 90210 what he essentially blames Philip for, what he feels Philip's fault is, um, what he's lacking is the fact that Philip attempted to have an emotional connection to someone else, right? He, it right was on. because they, he brought his mother onto the ship and that was, it, it, and I, I, I appreciate, I agree with everything everybody's saying. Um, and I, I really appreciate the, the, the fact that the, the writers are making Marco as two-dimensional as he is because the, this breed of narcissism is two-dimensional. It is like the only thing in Marcos's pretty little man bun head is himself and how yeah. everybody relates to him, which is of course why he can't think in terms of, okay, I am now governing the belt and I need to take care of the belt. He doesn't care about taking care of belters. He cares about what he looks like to them and and that is wrapped up entirely in being strong and um, more powerful than anybody else around yeah, him. And, and I, I also love, go ahead, Kelly Sue. I just want to shout out um, Keon Alexander's performance um, because you're totally right with the 2D nature. And I think this is the first episode where we start to see like, oh, there's nothing interesting under the hood of this character, right? right? Mm -hmm. So we're starting to get that look at Marco and these kinds of things and these kinds of characters can be really fucking boring. <laughs> you know, like the narcissistic tyrant dad who doesn't really have anything else going on emotionally or whatever, but this performance is what makes it all um, so is what does make it interesting. Well, and I don't know what he's doing or how he's doing it, but there is there is a sort of a distinction in that. Yeah, I think it's less, and not to contradict, 
It's less no, that please. he's a two-dimensional character. It's that mm-hmm. Marco is a two-dimensional person. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's so that's yeah. not like it's not like they failed us somehow with the character. No. They're achieving exactly what they want. Yeah, to, like, I, I yeah. didn't mean to imply yeah. that they failed us with this character. Right. Yeah, no, I, I don't think you did succeeded in creating a character yeah. that we really hate. Well, yeah. and, um, and, really smart. and that in itself is, is a success. We're not bored by him. We feel very strong yeah. things about him. Did so that, that's no failing him. that he's 2D. It's like, yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. Just, that, that's exactly it. He's a 2D person. Yes. Did anyone and else feel like to... he was subtly blaming Philip for Sin not being there when he told that story? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I was like, God damn. Yeah. Yeah. He's laying it all on. And and I, just because I'm calling her number 90210, I wanted to give actual name props to Kathleen Robertson, who plays a character named Rosenfeld Guoliang. I don't know that I can say her last name. So we're going to continue with number 90210. But my point in all of that is that the brilliance of the writers in understanding exactly the nature of Marco's character and person is that they know they have to give him an opposite and, and someone to bounce off of in these scenes who is intelligent. Like Lisa was saying, like she, this woman is savvy in, the, in, in that conversation about parenthood. <laughs> And him, her grilling him about how he loves his son, watching her maneuver the minefield of his ego is really well done. Like you understand that this person understands exactly who she's working for. Mm -hmm. Um, And it doesn't, it, it makes her character both more interesting and, and feel smarter and more, you know, like if we could have her at the helm of the free Navy, I would be like, Oh shit, we've really got an issue here. Um, but also we don't like her, right? Because she's, she is that savvy and yet is going along with all of these things that Marco is doing. So what does that say about her? I think it's really, really interesting. Yeah. She's Dick Cheney. She's a character. Yeah. She's Dick Cheney. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And how great to have that be a female, to have this be a female mm-hmm. character. Especially because well. it was a man in the, in the books. Yeah. Rosenfeld, you know, j- 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 was a, a dude in the books. He was the governor of palace. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All good stuff. Um, well, I don't know if our listening audience is following along with the webisodes that they are giving us at the end of each of these. Um, if not, I highly encourage people to be going into the extras provided by Amazon Prime um, and watching these little snippets. The first one um, with the first episode was all about Kamina Drummer. This episode, we get a webisode called Zenobia, which is the ship that... Um, uh, Avasarala is on and they're doing it with this kind of recurring narration about one ship like what makes a family what makes a community um of you know from different people's perspectives um and so in this episode we get a snapshot of Avasarala you know doing her normal work day which is you know, taking care of everybody and trying to prevent, you know, well, she can't prevent it, but trying to mitigate major apocalypse. Um, So we see her primarily in a moment of downtime and trying to get some rest in. And she gets a message from her granddaughter who is adorably 
growing a pittance of vegetables and um, thinking about how she can hopefully feed her family. Um, and then we see Abasarala checking her like health stats, which is starting to worry me because she's not looking too good or she's looking good, but her health stats are not looking too good. Um, and she's ordering drugs from her doctor. Um, and then she has to move on and, you know, she kind of gathers herself and becomes that full tilt Abasarala of get, the, get this guy moving. Let's get the show on the road. Um, all the expletives included. Um, what is, what does this episode give us about our dear? So it gives us a, a really good relatability to Abasarala. A lot of times, like, watching a character like this. She just seems so perfectly poised all the time, always on top of it. Um, and like, you know, she seems to live in this upper stratosphere, right? Um, well, I guess she actually literally does now, but um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's like the, the exhaustion of it all. And, you know, so she turns the lights out and she's like, all right, give me like five minutes or whatever timer is where she's going to just take a quick nap in zero G um, in the dark. And um, then her phone chimes with a message from her granddaughter. And so that's what her next five minutes is going to be instead of sleeping. Mm -hmm. And I can't say how many times that sort of thing happens to me and I assume everybody on a regular basis and so I think any kind of like humanizing oh sorry <laughs> any kind of humanizing on like of a character like Avasarala is nothing but you know good like it's, it's just, it's just great to see these. I love these little snippets that it's like, it's not necessarily story development, but it's character development, which is just as important. And mm -hmm. so I really, I, I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And my, my assumption is that, you know, her granddaughter is sending this message either from earth or Luna potentially. Mm -hmm. um, I but would it, hope Luna. <laughs> I would yeah. hope Luna, right? Like, but even that is like a privilege, but I, I appreciate that it kind of gives us this hint that even a person like Avasarala cannot extend privilege very far in the, these circumstances, mm -hmm. even as privileged as her family probably is in terms of their livability, their circumstances, it's still you know, they're still in a position where they're having to think about, okay, we need to be able to like grow our own food kind of thing. And, 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 and that the children in that family understand and, and know what the situation is, which is heartbreaking. Oh, also the line she delivers when she, before she goes into her room, we're all belters now. Um, just talking about like how they can't trust the air and water on earth anymore. And that was also a, a very important line. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, well, if that's, 
everything everybody has. I, I got one oh, thing just to add to that. Please, Justin. I, I feel like this this felt very much to me all the way around like a statement that Avasarala is going to work herself to death. Like, there's really subtle clues. Like, the ship is called the Zenobia. Like, Z, the end of the alphabet, you know, Omega, you know. Um, the fact that when she sat down to take a nap, she crossed her arms over her chest like this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like a slumbering queen, you know, like, a, you know, like a, a sarcophagus. Um, and then we see her health, you know, we see her little di self-diagnostic and lots of red bars. And she basically says, okay, doctor, I need, you know, the prescription we discussed dropped off in my quarters, which means she's going to self-medicate and, you know, and keep going. Um, I don't know that she's going to die. Um, I do feel like we talked about her scene with, with Monica Stewart and where she, she, she says, you know, I practice this when I'm by myself, you know, that guilt trip tone. And she, she has this immense guilt and it's not just over what has happened to the world. I think it's a very personal guilt because she let herself fight with her husband. She didn't do what she had to do to fix it. And he's likely dead as a result. And so I think she intends to work herself to death. I think she intends mm. to do as much as she can to save the world. And then she's going to go find Arjun, preferably the real one. You know? <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, that Justin, so yeah, absolutely. I agree with all of that. And I'm feeling that it feels, it's so heartbreaking and it's, it's, ties in so much to just the tension I always have in this show about like who is going to make it out of this season okay mm -hmm. and alive and I keep bouncing back and forth of course I have you know book knowledge that's interplaying with all of that but I don't I honestly you know you don't know how the tv the showrunner in this you know the showrunners are going to where they're going to go with it and I feel that we're getting a lot of that kind of foreshadowing potentially for a lot of characters this season and oh this Can is I a good time to remind people that is not oh. um part of this section of the discussion but something that i really want to add to this episode mm -hmm. is uh just a brief moment to really deeply appreciate um walker's line about marco oh, oh yeah oh, wait wait marco stop. You're, oh. you're, you're, you're going into my immemorium. You're coming because I'm clearing, definitely going to go okay, there. You're clearing oh, Justin right now. Oh, yeah. I see it there. I see what you're about to say, Kelly Sue, and I see it yeah. on Justin's list here. We're, we, okay, I won't I'm say anything. just going to moderate in terms of saying, yes, Kelly Sue, we are going to appreciate that in all of its fullness. Yes. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that we were. Yes. It's noted. Yes, yes. It, it will be. <laughs> and if it's everybody agrees at this point, I think it is a beautiful time as we move forward, you know, and have this fear about our character's survivability in this season, uh, that we go to our in memoriam section. And uh, Justin, you would, will are going to walk us through the living and the dead.
characters are going to die, you know, mm-hmm. it, especially in the best stories. And how a story handles those deaths is important both to fans and to storytellers. Uh, every episode of Through the Ring and of that episode was The Expanse uh, has an in memoriam where we discuss the deaths of the major minor characters and maybe major and minor elements that we've witnessed, how they affect us and what those deaths mean as storytelling tools. Um, First and foremost, um, in the Strange Dogs section of the story, we have confirmed the death of the Mama Sunbird. And maybe Mama Sunbird's babies as well. Um, That girl did not win for losing. (laughs) No. Yeah. Oh, it, it's, it's a rough thing to, to run afoul of a human child, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that is just not going to go well for you as an animal. Well, and um, the delicate nature of the human survivability on other planets is just like, how do these people live there like long term? You are constantly having to barrier, you know, create a barrier between yourself and the environment around you because of mutual, you know, destruction. And there is like, they make the point of saying that they have to grow crops that they brought with them in order to survive. But then you have to ask yourself, how do those crops survive? Because mm-hmm. crops depend on the biome. They depend on my, microbes and stuff. And how are the, how is that survive? You know, so it's, it's a rough, the idea of terraforming a world and colonizing a world, you know, science fiction tells us that that just might be science fiction, that it may not be as, you know, doable as we would like to hope. Um, In memoriam, Mm -hmm. half my fear of Amos (laughs) when Bobby tells him not to worry his pretty little head. You know, like, sure, sure, she called him Pee Wee, which was, which came a little later in the episode, but when she was like, don't you worry your pretty little head, I'll take care of that. (laughs) I was like... Damn, Amos. I was like, I was like, everyone knows who the baddest ass on the Rasanati is, and it ain't you. All right. If nothing else, then like all of the visuals we got of her walking around in her armor while everyone else is just flattened out by the G force. Like, so great. So yeah. good. Yeah. So great. Um, and then from my girl Kelly Sue. What little game we thought Marco has died when Liang Walker claimed to intimidate him sexually. Because I don't know about y'all, but I bought that shit. Oh, 100%. <laughs> all right. A thousand million percent. I mean, I think that we can all agree that Marco suffers from a towering case of little dick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a gorgeous oxymoron. <laughs> yes. Well, and I, and I appreciate it even more because I... I've come to a point in the show where I, you cannot assume what anyone's particular sexuality is like what you can't pin down what this statement really actually means. He could easily have been saying because he wants me to top it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, and that's just like all good and part of the, yeah, it's very interesting. It's one of the great things about this show because, Mm -hmm. you know, they have set up a truly, you know, They've done something smoothly that Star Trek Discovery is doing clunkily, which is like mm-hmm. in a real future, you know, issues of gender and sexuality, no one's going to be sweating that shit, you know. 
and Discovery is like in your face about it, like, look at us. But the expanse is just like, hey, <laughs> you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, in memoriam, and ain't nobody ever gonna miss them, the crew of the Azure Dragon. Bye. You know, that's four properly dead belters. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then my last thing, you know, because not a lot of people died in this episode. But one of the two obstacles keeping Peaches from being a full member of the crew was Holden's reservations. And those seem to die in this episode. And I think that warmed all of our hearts a little bit. So, you know. I loved Holden's, it's not a memoriam, it's a birth, really. Of Mm. Holden's like stern dad energy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He was very much like, well, that was like, never do that again. I don't know how to talk to you now that I think yeah. you're a real person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Totally. And so, and so I'm, I'm going to go with, you know, I'm going to go with Jean-Luc Picard, Captain. You know? <laughs> right. I really yeah. want totally. to compliment you and say something really good about you right now, but I'm going to do it by chastising you. Yes. And yeah. Because you, you did oh just God. try to kill me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, not long ago. Classic stern dad move. <laughs> Always. And then, of course, Amos is there to be like, geez, dad. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, um, that brings us mostly to the end. A couple more things with every episode of that episode was we like to give our one word ish, two word ish, very few words. Um, reaction to this episode. So I'm going to go right down the line. Philip, that episode was hopeful. Nice. Kelly Sue. Hmm? <laughs> was that because you had food in your mouth <laughs> that you gave that answer? No. Okay. I was yeah. really kind of like, huh. Utterance. Yeah. It's just yeah. one utterance. Uh, Kelly, or not Kelly. Oh, goodness. Lisa, I wanted to say Lisa. Oh, my God. Hi, it's me. Um, I just, I mean, I'm ditto on Phil. Hopeful. Good. Uh, Justin? Well, you know, I don't think I can say that episode was hopeful now because, you know, that's just too much agreement. (laughs) But this episode was a crack in the dam for me. You know, something. I feel like there's going to be a flood coming. So this episode was a crack in the dam. I am just going to say that that episode was flippy because there was a lot of ship flippy stuff like going on, um, which is excellent. I, I'm going to go back and rewatch the action scene um, a couple of times today just because I enjoy that so much. Um, I want a- them to now describe burns as flippies. Flippies, <laughs> yes. We're Brace going to for be the flippy. Brace for flippies. <laughs> flippies coming. Yeah, Holden tells them to brace. Holden tells them to brace, and we're like, "There's no bracing right now." (laughs) Brace, (laughs) it's ridiculous. Anyway, um, as we do in every episode, uh, we are inspired by these things we love, and it inspires us to love other things. And Lisa K. Weber is going to give us a recommendation for something that is inspiring to her at the moment. Um, yeah, so, you know, we talk about the books a lot. I think I, I can't remember if someone recommended this on Through the Ring before. If so, 
too bad. I'm just going to recommend it again. If not, Dylan. great. Um, <laughs> so, um, I have been, as a lot of my co-hosts know, I've been playing a lot of The Witcher lately. And of course, Netflix just dropped season two of The Witcher, which I have enjoyed the first couple episodes of. So, um, as much as I, and I'm, I'm a sci-fi fantasy nerd anyway, I love them both, but I, if I'm being honest, I probably spend more time in the fantasy realm than in the science fiction realm. So, um, Daniel Abraham wrote a series of books called The Dagger and the Coin, and it's a five-book series, and it's all high fantasy, and I think kind of like watching this while also watching The Witcher um, kind of put me back in mind of these books. Um, so, it's like, because it's Daniel Abraham, like stylistically, um, there are some kind of just general reading, um, similarities to the Expanse books. Um, but this is all like, we're talking about like, you know, humans and all these different kind of like non-human races living in this fantasy world. Um, a dragon shows up that is a great character. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, it's, and it's like, it's called the dagger and the coin because it's all about asking this question of like, kind of what, what rules people in the end? Is it violence or is it money? Um, and so it kind of spends time kind of like exploring these things with all of these really kind of interesting characters in these interesting ways. And so that is my recommendation, the dagger and the coin book series by I mean Daniel Abraham. Excellent choice and, and not a theme that we can discount in the expanse either. What rules people violence or money or. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you all. Um, if you liked this conversation, be sure to like and subscribe to Popsicle on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in to next week's That Episode 1 was that episode one okay tune in to next week's that episode was where we'll be discussing the third episode of the expanse season six force projection which sounds ominous we're also currently releasing new episodes of murder husbands our deep dive appreciation of brian fuller's hannibal every tuesday follow at PopsiclePod on all social medias and visit our website, popsiclepod.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter and get all of the news and announcements. That's popsiclepod, P-O-P-S-K-L-P-O-D. Until next time, uh, you know, stay strong, belters. This has been a Popsicle podcast production. Awesome. I can't do Belter convincingly. I was so, I was I so whiffed. looking forward to it. I was like, I, was I still whiffed for it. on the I landing. I was on the edge of my seat. Couldn't Swing for it. it. <laughs> whiffed on the landing. Anyway. Um.